already. And I'm so thankful that the Lord, the presence of the Lord is here. You remember that song? The presence of the Lord is here. I feel him in the atmosphere. The presence of the Lord is here. Got a message for you today that I think speaks to where we are as a community. And I think sometimes we need to do a self-check about what's going on, about what's going on. And you're familiar with a song by Douglas Miller. The name of the song is Anchored in the Lord. In times like these, we have to ask ourselves, where is our faith? All year long, I've been hearing such seeing such memes and negative things about the year 2020. Can I tell you, as bad as the year 2020 is, I can't believe it's the worst year mankind has ever faced. No, no, it may be the worst in your lifetime, but I don't think that it's the worst mankind has ever faced. And I know it ain't the worst that black folk have faced. No, 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 because I know there were some years that began and ended with us still being somebody else's property. And I don't care how you look at that, that's a bad year under any circumstances. When somebody else can call you theirs and treat you the way they want to treat you, that, that's a horrible year in my opinion. And even after, even after we were liberated physically, some of us were still struggling mentally. And so we've had worse years than COVID has brought us. We've had worse deaths in terms of what it means to the conscience of our community. I believe when we lost leaders who were leading us to a different level, we've been struggling ever since. But there's one thing we have not lost, and that is our connection to the Lord. And the question is, do you know him? Who do you put your faith in? Who do you rely on for your stability in good times, T, and in bad times, who can I turn to is the song, right? Who can I run to? There's a, there's a passage of scripture in Romans chapter five that I think underpins this, this notion. Paul is writing in what we call the constitution of the Bible telling Christians how we ought to behave. And he writes, starting in chapter 5, starting at verse, verse 1, if you'll allow me to read a few of these words for you. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace, in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory, watch this now, in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering has an expected outcome. Our suffering produces perseverance. And that perseverance then produces character. And character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit 
who has been given to me and to you, to us. And you see, at just the right time, watch this now, you ought to, you ought to stick a pen in this one. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely would someone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, maybe someone might die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been, fulfilled, or been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Through him. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him, while we were his enemy now, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have now received reconciliation. One of the reasons some of us won't get better in Christ is because we won't take the time to read the word of God to bring it into our spirits, to grow from it. And so I want to take some time this morning, and I want to explain to you why you ought to have hope in this season of storms. I want to talk to you about why it's all right anyway, even though we're going through these issues. I want to talk to you about and ask you this question, is your soul anchored in the Lord? That's what I want to talk about, anchored in the Lord. You see, some folk haven't been phased by all the things going on. They've got the coronavirus all around them. Some of them have lost their jobs. Some of them families have families that are struggling in a mighty way. They didn't get any unemployment. Certainly didn't get a boosted unemployment. They got children who are young enough to have to be in school Yet, they don't have devices for their children to learn on. They certainly don't have access to Wi-Fi. And yet, when you see them, their countenance is not downcast. They tell you, matter of fact, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. And if you don't have faith enough, you don't understand what they're talking about. In other words, long before we had all these other helps, all we had was Jesus. And he has brought us a mighty long way. People, we've gotten too sophisticated in our faith. And we forgot that all we ever needed was Jesus. We don't need all this other stuff as long as we've got him because we are his responsibility. And it's his job to make sure that his children, his people are taken care of. And yet we've been distracted by the storms. Oh yeah, we've been distracted. We're familiar with storms, particularly in the southern part of the United States. We're used to storms. Just this past week, we had a unique occurrence where potentially two hurricanes were going to come barreling down on the southern coast of the United States, storms. We know about tornadoes and storms. When you tell someone from the west coast, that we had a storm and maybe five or six tornadoes came through at the same time, they look at you like you're out of your mind because they're not used to those kind of storms. 
And yet, it's a regular occurrence in our lives to see them. Not only are we used to physical storms, y'all know about physical storms, we know how to take shelter. We know how to prepare ourselves. Most of us have listened to the meteorologists and have prepared our storm kit and put it somewhere in our houses just in case something happened because you know and I know that a storm can drop down at any time. And one minute you can be okay and the next moment your house is completely destroyed. Through no fault of your own, storms come. But can I tell you this? Physical storms aren't the only ones that can come and mess up our lives. We also have storms that can come from a report in a health lab. That's a storm that can come and rain havoc on your life. Some of us have storms that rain down when we look at our credit reports. It's a storm in our life that are just tad all apart. Not only that, some of us have seen storms turn up at, in the blink of an eye when we got our employee evaluation. Or maybe the storm tore your life up. Instead of a good evaluation, you just got a pink slip. Storms come and they destroy our sense of well-being. But there's something that God put in place for us to understand what we need to do whenever we find ourselves in storms. It's amazing that we can take the analogies from what we see in the Bible and apply them to our lives, Destiny. It's not unfamiliar for us to read about the Lord having been carried somewhere, maybe standing and preaching, riding on a boat while we were in scripture, reading scripture. When all of those boats would have as a necessity an anchor that would be placed in the boat because there in the region that they lived, it was not uncommon for storms to come quickly. And those storms could overwhelm the boat and the people inside could be harmed or even worse, killed. And so they would put an anchor in the boat so that if a storm came, they could drop the anchor and secure the boat from being pulled and torn, torn apart. I came to tell you today that just as you need to have an anchor in a boat, you also need to have an anchor in your life. If you've never understood what having an anchor is, then you need to listen to me right now. Paul is writing to the church and telling them that the reason why I can be okay in the midst of the storm is because I've already dropped my anchor in the Lord. My soul has been anchored in the Lord, and so it does not matter. It does not matter, whatever the storm may be. I've already dropped anchor in the Lord. And so my question to you is, is your soul anchored? in the Lord, or if not anchored in the Lord, what is it anchored in? What have you used as your solid force, your solid immovable force? Because I came to tell you today, you'll find really quickly if you put your anchor in the wrong place. Because sometimes what you depend on, a storm can come along and tear up what you thought was your place of security. Some folk, the three little pigs found out, build their lives in the wrong way. They use the wrong material. They use straw and, and they use wood to build their homes. It's, it's not until you get the right foundation, a solid foundation that you understand 
what it is you need to drop your anchor in. But can I tell you, even in this day and time, building your house out of a solid foundation called stone is no guarantee that your house is going to be okay. And even if your house is okay, it doesn't mean that your soul is all right. You can have a perfectly good house and a toe-up soul if you don't drop your anchor in the right place. And so here's Paul. Paul writes to us and tells us that we need to understand what we have acquired in our relationship with the Lord. He's telling us in no uncertain terms that our relationship through Jesus Christ is our anchor for our soul no matter the circumstances. Watch this. Watch this. When we start out in chapter, one, chapter 5 and verse 1, he starts out writing using the word therefore. 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 Whenever you find any passage of scripture that starts out using the word therefore, it points you back to a previous chapter, a previous part of scripture, and you need to go back to that point so you can see what you are at this place, what you are there for. We need to go back and find out why I arrived at chapter 5. And the only way we can do that is if you let me recap chapters 1 through 4 really quickly for you. In chapter 1, Paul starts explaining to folk what it is to have a relationship with the Lord. And he puts it personal. He doesn't want anybody to think he's speaking generally. He uses the word I throughout chapter 1. Watch this. He said, he said now I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I promised to come to you, but was let hitherto. He said that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among Gentiles. Not just talking to the Jews here, I'm talking to whosoever will. And then he said in chapter 14, of chapter, I mean verse 14 of chapter 1, I, Paul, am a debtor to both the Greeks and to the Jews, both to the wise and the unwise. Walk with me now. He says in chapter 15, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel so that you also in Rome may hear me. And then in verse 16, he says, for I, watch it now, am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believeth, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Then he moves from chapter 1, and he moves on to chapter 2. I've made it personal, and he needs then tell them what their purpose is. And so he starts using the word you. All right, he moves from I to you. Thou is what it reads in the, in the, uh, in the uh, King James Version, thou. In chapter, one, chapter 2, verse 1, he's dealing with those people who think they're mightier or holier than anybody else. He's dealing with those highbrow believers, those Jews who think that the gospel was only brought for them, and he came to let them know that the gospel is for whosoever will. And so he writes in, chapter, in verse 1, he says, Therefore, you are inexcusable, old man. I'm reading, I'm changing you for thou. I'm replacing that if you're reading along with me. He said, therefore, you are inexcusable, old man, whoever you are that judge. For when it, wherein you judge another, 
you condemn yourself. For you that judge does the same thing. Watch this now. In other words, you have no right ever to look down your nose at anybody who has a wants, a relationship with the Lord. And so he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I came to preach it to whosoever will. But let me tell you, it's not an elitist relationship. It's not just for Jews. It's for anybody. You shouldn't be looking down your nose at anybody because it's for everybody. And then he moves from I to you. And then he puts everybody in the picture and starts using they. All right. Chapter 3, verse 12, he said, they are all gone out of the way. They are all together become, are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. No. Verse 13, he says, their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues, they have used deceit. The poison of asps, which an asp is a snake, is under their lips, a poisonous snake, a viper, I would imagine, is under their lips. In other words, the whole world doesn't realize it, but those who claim to know the Lord and don't know him are only fooling themselves and are telling powerful lies, and they are accountable not only to God, but they're accountable to everybody who believes on God. He said, but the ones who are only faking it are just spitting poison out on them. And so he goes from I to you to they, and finally in chapter 4, he uses us and we, draws it all back together again. He went from the specific to the general, draws it back to the specific again, and he says in chapter 4, he says he identifies himself. That's another thing. A lot of preachers don't put themselves in the same boat as the folk they preach to. But we all come out of the same problems, same issues. That's why we're in fellowship. We're fellows in the same ship. You need to understand that I didn't come in on a different boat than you did. I'm standing on the bow of the same boat of problems that everybody else said had. And what Paul is saying right here in chapter 4, verse 24, is that, but for us also... To whom it shall be imputed, imputed, that's a strong word. If we believe on him, that's all of us, that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. If we believe. In other words, I got a special commission, Paul said, but I still have to be counted in the number of those who believe in Jesus Christ. And so in Romans 1 through 4, those chapters, we've seen the reality of what humanity and what human sin, depravity, callousness can do for the people that God created. And that's why it was necessary for Christ to do his work on the cross. And then in Romans chapter 5, Paul says, since I've shown you how bad we were in chapters 1 through 4, since I've shown you how we get right from the problems we had, in chapters 1 through 4, therefore, since we're all in this thing together, what do we have to do? What is our present position? Those who have been justified through faith have earned a couple of things. That's right. You ought to shout to the Lord because you have been saved, sanctified, justified. You've earned some rewards, as they say. We're used to that in our community. First of all, you've been accepted by God. 
That, that might not mean anything to you. You may have lived all your life being accepted. But what if you grew up in a community where nobody accepted you? You came from the wrong side of the track. Your folk were poor. They didn't have nothing. You had no name to speak of. It meant something to those folk who needed some acceptance by somebody. Somebody who was a slave was sitting in this audience he was talking to. They needed to know, I'm acceptable to God. And since Paul says we've been accepted by God, he says, I'm no longer at war with God. I have peace with him. Chapters 1 through 4 make it clear that God is at war with those who do not believe in him. Oh, yeah. No, no. We don't have a good relationship with God. There's a whole lot of folk down here who live hellishly, who still think they got a good relationship with the Lord. I got to tell you this right now, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that those who are unrighteous, those who are outside the household of faith are at war with God. And God does not treat those he's at war with kindly. The word Paul uses often is wrath. Wrath. Now, I don't know about you. Wrath is not a word that we use all the time in our community. But when I do think about it, I think about some scorched earth kind of thing. I think about folk being tore up. The one thing I remember is a Star Trek movie where Star Trek, it was called Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan. And this evil dude just went all over the universe blowing up planets and killing all kind of folk. That's what I imagine when I think about wrath. And Lord knows I don't want him to have wrath on me or my family. I want to be at peace with the Lord. And that's when Paul tells us, you don't have to worry, Andre, because since you've accepted Jesus Christ, as your savior, as God's gift to mankind, you are officially, undoubtedly at peace with God because you accepted the work Jesus did on the cross. Because of your belief in Jesus' sacrifice, watch this now. He says, Andre, you've been justified. In other words, he's saying it's just as if you had not sinned. That's what justification means. The word that he uses in this passage, diakion, it's a Greek word, but it means something simple. It means to count. It means I matter. It means I matter. You're counted okay, Andre. You might not have been born okay, but I'm counting you okay. All right, I'm gonna give you credit. That means you're okay. When you show up without a dime in your pocket, you still already listed down on the books as plus one because God has allowed Jesus to be your ticket into holiness. I couldn't have bought it myself, but I've been counted okay through Jesus Christ. Counted as righteous. Now why is this important, T? Because some folk count themselves as righteous. Some folks say, I come from the right folk. I've been in church all my life. I've been trying to treat folk right. I got money in my pocket. I got the right education. And they don't know if you show up at heaven's gateway with that as your payment and you don't have Jesus, you don't get in. 
It doesn't work that way. The only way you can be counted as righteous is for a righteous one to give you that title. And the righteous one is through Jesus Christ. And he counts you as righteous not because you look right, smell right, talk right, but it's because you have faith in him. People dismiss that. They don't understand how powerful faith is, Tyrone. They don't know that faith is big enough, even when it's small, to move a mountain. They don't understand what faith is in somebody's life. Faith will get you up out of hospital bed, even when the doctor doesn't know what's going on. Faith will make your relationship with folk turn out all right, even when you don't know what to say or how to make it right. Faith is the vehicle that the Lord uses to ride your situation now. Kids sing it all the time. I can do the impossible. I can be the incredible. Why? Because I got, all I need is faith. Faith. I might have the words messed up, but I know I got the tune close to right. All because I got faith. Yeah, I don't need anything but faith. Faith will get me everywhere I need to be in the kingdom. Not only am I accepted by God, guess what? I have access to him. I've got access to God. In this passage, grace is the reason that I've got access to him. Grace is the reason that God allows me to be a part of his kingdom. Grace is what I stand in. People don't understand what grace is, though, Karen. Do you know that you live as a child of God in a state of grace? Oh, yeah, you move from the state of unrighteousness to a state of grace. You, you live there in that place right now. You've been placed there by the Lord. And in, 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 in the place of grace, in the state of grace, you are forever in God's presence. And folks don't understand what that is. And we also don't understand that since I live in grace, I ought to mind my manners while I'm staying in a state of grace. I can't just act any kind of way as a citizen of the state of grace. I can't be seen as abusing my privileges in the state of grace. And every time I come to the Lord, no matter what my day has been, no matter how bad people have treated me, I still have to approach the throne of grace with reverence and mightily. Why? Because he's still the king of kings. And he's still the one who is deserving of all the glory in creation. And so before your justification, before you were counted as righteous, you were given grace enough to even know it existed. So can I tell you, God allowed you to move to grace before you ever said, I believe. Which is why you can claim that I am a child of God, I am in him anchored in him. I'm immovable. He's been moving in my life and it's all because I got faith. I got faith so I've got access to him. He loves me. I've got access to him. Not only do I have access to him, I've been accepted by him. And because I know I've been accepted and have access, when it comes to the problems of this world, soon I will be done with the trouble of this world. But while I'm still here, I got to deal with the trouble of this world, but I'm not going to deal with it as those who have no hope. Why? Because I already know that my hope is built on nothing less 
than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. And I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I'll wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I'll stand. All other ground is what? Sinking sand. And so because of that, I know how to recognize God's purposes in my life. He wants me to do whatever I have to from my position to build the kingdom of God up. That's my job. It doesn't matter what he's gifted me with, whatever he's blessed me with, it has to be for kingdom building purposes. It's not so me and the girl I fall in love with can live in that house up on that hill. No, it's for kingdom building purposes. When you look around to see how come ain't nobody, why is nobody helping folk who need something? Because God depends on you to do that. You shouldn't be looking for anybody else to do it because it's your purpose that God has blessed you with to help folk in any way that you can. Look, look, the word that's used for problems in scripture, the ellipsis means pressure. It means opposition. It means affliction and distress. You have to apply your anchor to a solid foundation so that when you find yourself under pressure, being oppressed in the middle of affliction and in distress and the storms of life are trying to snatch you from your foundation, you already realize that I've been anchored in the Lord. Adversity. Do you think we're the first people to have adversity in our lives? Do you think we're the first people on earth that God created who had problems? Do you think COVID-19 is the first pestilence that's ever stormed our land? Can I remind you about polio, smallpox? Can I remind you about leprosy? Can I remind you about all these diseases that nobody could see in our community? You never knew who you would come into contact with. You never knew who you would touch or where you would sit or what circumstance you find yourself in and then realize I too have been afflicted with this malady. We need to thank God that he's been gracious enough to even in the midst of this problem to also give us enough folk who got enough sense to go around and find us cures and give us directions for COVID while it is bad. We got a God who's bigger than anything bad that's ever been created. And if your soul is anchored in him, I got to tell you today, everything's going to be all right. There's a poem. Some folk may have heard before. It's a little poem that illustrates this principle. It says, I walked a mile with pleasure and she chatted all the way. But she left me none the wiser with all she had to say. Then I walked a mile with sorrow, and she never a word was said, and, and, and a word she and never a word she said, but all the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. Some people don't learn the things in life until something goes wrong. And can I tell you this? One of the reasons that people don't learn things is because there's usually in our lifetime somebody who's trying to put covering over you. Every time problems come into your life, they got cover that they put over you. You never feel the, feel the full impact of what life brings you because someone somewhere is always covering you. And it's not until that person is removed from your life 
through whatever circumstance that you start feeling the full impact of the winds that have been blowing all along. Can I tell you right now? Jesus is our cover. When you don't have a physical person here who can help you, Jesus is our spiritual cover. He can take care of you. He'll block the winds in your life. Some of y'all been saved from issues that you never knew were going on. Why? Because Jesus covered you. He kept you when you couldn't keep yourself. So not only do you need to recognize what his purpose is in your life, you get that from having a relationship with him. You also need to learn how to recall his amazing love that he shared with you before. Oh, he's blessed you. We might be willing to die, according to verse 6 and 8, in that passage I gave you, you might be willing to die for a friend or a family member, but would you ever die for somebody you can't stand? Would you die for an enemy? Better yet, would you die for somebody who's trying to kill you? That's the example we have in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ showed us by his life how to live, but he also showed us through his death how to die, even in the midst of people crucifying him even in the midst of people mistreating him, he prayed for them as he stepped into heaven's doorway. He prayed for them as he left him. In fact, he provided an excuse to his father why no retribution should be made by the people who were crucifying him. He said, Father, they don't know what they're doing right now. He prayed for them. With that as an example, as he died for you and for me. Now you look down your nose at those folk who was standing around the cross when Jesus Christ died. You look down your nose at those soldiers who nailed him to the cross, but can I tell you, when you know what's right and you don't do what's right, you put new nail prints in his hand. When you know what's right and you don't say what's right, you put him on that cross again and put that thorn of crowns on his head. When you know what's right and you don't do what's right, you too are guilty of crucifying Jesus Christ. And he's praying at that moment, not just for those who actually did it, but for those of us who crucify him all over again. And we need to learn how to take care of those who can't take care of themselves. And we need to use as an example that same Jesus who took care to pray for those who were taking advantage of him. We need to pray for them as well. And then last but not least, as we recall how good he's been for us and to us through his death, we pray for those who understand that even in the midst of sorrow of destiny, you can still shout. Somebody was supposed to shout at that point. Even in the midst of COVID, God's church ought to be celebrating. Even in the midst of the tragedies that we see around us, we ought to celebrate. Why? Because we understand that salvation has allowed us to be fixed on a permanent destination. The old folk used to saying, this old world is not my home. You're gonna look for me someday and I'll be gone on home. And while we're here, we're not here long, but we're here and trouble finds us. And as long as I'm here, trouble's gonna find us. But one songwriter says, just as sure as trouble rises, I'll hasten to his throne. I'll lean on the one who's been taking care of me. I'll celebrate the Lord who's been good to me all the days of my life. The days before I knew him, he was good to me. 
And since I found out how good he's been, he's been showing us good, good to me. God has already pronounced his verdict on my life because I've accepted his son, Jesus Christ. He's already declared me not guilty of the sins that I've committed. He's already blessed me with a new home over in glory. And if that ain't something you ought to shout about, I don't know what is. All of our anchors have been placed somewhere. I tell you, you need to make sure that your anchors have been placed in the Lord. We can rejoice in these times because we've been reconciled with the Lord through Jesus Christ. The storms of life may come. The problems of life may come. But when they do, you and I can turn to those spiritual anchors we have and know that our souls have been anchored in the Lord. Do you know him? Do you know him as your own savior? Have you accepted him? Do you love him? If you've never accepted him or know that he died for you, now's the time for you right now. I don't have to come into your house, sit in your living room or sit at the table with you. You can pray right there where you are. A preacher doesn't have to come hold your hand. All you need to do is turn your heart right now. Turn your heart and say, Lord, I realize that I've been wrong and I want to be right. Lord, I realize that I've gone left and I should have turned right. You need to say, Lord, come into my life. Lead me to you, Lord. Guide me every step of the way. Be my guide. Be my strength. Protect me in these times. I ask you this all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for being so good. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and ask it all. Amen.